Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing each week's manga chapter and a reread of past chapters. My name is Thomas. And I'm Jordan. Now, I know we just cut it like two weeks ago, but uh, there is new V-Record info this week, so we will have a bit of a news segment this time. Look forward to that. Uh, But aside from that, no new announcements. We'll be jumping into chapter 1018, then later chapters 229 through 237. Here we go. So as usual, we're going to start with this here cover page, which I don't, like, maybe I just read it wrong, but I don't quite get what the request and the picture are showing. Like, page page one is a child, but then is Ulti a grown-up version, or are the dinosaurs the grown-up version? They look the same regardless, so I don't, I, I don't know. My guess is that the request was page one and ulti as children and Oda decided how about i draw them as adults instead okay but in like a children atmosphere i guess indeed okay sure uh hey jordan did you notice that all of the stuffed animals around the room are the kaido pirates i did actually we got jack and queen and king and kaido himself uh and I assume the, like, Sabretooth is for Yamato? Um, I would assume that the Sabretooth is for who's who, the Sabretooth man. Oh, I forgot about that. What's what's next to the Sabretooth? Is that like an octopus or something? Spider? Oh, it's a spider. Yeah. <laughs> for, uh, what's your face, Black Maria? I was just like, many legs, has to be octopus. No, <laughs> that is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Sasaki, the Triceratops over there. Right. It's pretty cute. Nice little touch, Oda. I yeah. appreciate it a lot. Uh, and there's also a T-Rex in the middle, I guess, but I don't know of any T-Rex boys in Kaido's crew. Uh, yeah, is Drake a T-Rex? I don't even remember. Drake isn't a T-Rex. I don't remember what specifically he is but and that may not even really be a t-rex in the picture either but that's true i just made that assumption but maybe it is drake nice to know that he's like way bigger than everybody else in this depiction at least <laughs> yeah i mean he's in the foreground i hope but yeah pretty funny <laughs> indeed i guess we can pop on into the chapter proper now we're back in the castle Seeing the aftermath, or the current math, I guess, of uh, the gifters being turned and becoming our buddies. They're causing trouble all over the place. Look at them go. Yeah, it is good to see that the enemy forces are at least able to, like, prioritize what they assume is causing this problem. They assume correctly, but, like, they don't know for sure. Um, But it's good to see them be like, hold on. Hold on, this all happened when a child spoke. Maybe we should get the child. <laughs> Indeed. And they're correct. Uh, unfortunately, the Kaido pirates only have their scrubs left. So that's not going to work out so great for them. Yeah, no no chance against Daifugo with his ponytail and thumbs up. Indeed. He looks good. Hated that guy about 50 chapters ago, but uh, he's a reliable ally now that he is forced to be. Uh, yeah, I... Yep. <laughs> I would use that thumbs up wide eye picture of him as like an avatar for social media if I still did that. But uh, those times are behind me. Maybe one day you will make a terrible decision and come back to it. And if that <laughs> happens, uh, you'll know just the picture to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately for Usopp and Co. who are trying to get out of there with Tama, uh, Horse Lena Speed comes on by. Nami and Tama managed to get on her back. Usopp's not so lucky for the moment. Poor Usopp. Well, he's got legs to carry him as far as he needs, I'm sure. <laughs> Indeed. It's not like that guy's been taking pretty serious damage as of late. I'm sure he can just walk whatever distance he needs to cover. Looks like no he's doing a pretty good run-slash-scramble there. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, he could get caught up in the moment, but I'm sure it'll work out. And uh, I think he does eventually manage to get on. Is that true? 
Uh, I think he's, like, draped across the back at one point or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the following page, you can see him right below uh, Zeus oh, yep, on yep. the butt end of, uh, of Speed. Good for him. He caught up. Proud of you, so. Uh, and Komachio is picked up by Giselle Man and company. They're going to take care of him. That feels good. I was worried about him. Yeah, it's it's nice to have the loose end there tied up. Um, it does seem kind of strange to prioritize Komachio instead of actual people, but um, I get it. Like this is this is almost a thank you to Tama more than anything else. So it's fitting. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And then Tama. If she were to give a direct order, probably would have asked them to do this anyway. So they were just kind of anticipating her needs, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, On the following page, Zeus and Nami have a brief discussion about his new rank. Apparently he has been promoted from servant to sidekick. So uh, he's already one-upped Sanji (laughs) on uh, Nami's ladder. (laughs) I'm sure he would kill to have that rank. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like this is just Nami sort of placating Zeus a little bit. Like, I don't think that to Nami there's much of a difference between sidekick and servant. Like, to her, that's gotta be the same thing. But for Zeus, it's a world of difference, and now he's gonna work so much harder for her, and yada yada yada. You're probably right. Classic Nami manipulating uh, clouds in the doing what she wants them to do. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of true. experience in this particular field. Yeah, yeah. Then we touch in with CP9 again for a little while. Um, and we also find out that apparently the uh, subordinates of some of the headliners have also swapped sides. Uh, a thousand of them, apparently. And uh, they took out a thousand-ish of uh, Kaido's boys in the process. So the new numbers, after all this mess has occurred, is 16,000 Kaido boys versus 9,000 Luffy boys. So they have not quite uh, double our forces now. Their forces are pretty bad compared to most of ours. So things are looking up. I do find it kind of strange that Oda didn't provide a reason for the headliner's followers to join them. Um... Like, sure, loyalty is a thing, but I would imagine that loyalty to Kaido comes before loyalty to the headliners. Or at least fear of Kaido should come over. (laughs) Yeah, in Kaido's case, those are kind of the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh, Agreed. A little bit odd, but... uh, It's helpful. I'm not complaining. Uh, Works out pretty well for us. Yeah, I would have liked to see, like a panel or something where, I don't know, one of the headliners threatens their followers or, like, just kind of talks to them and charismatically gets them to turn over. Just something would have been nice. I agree, but I kind of think this early bit with, like, the more aftermath of the uh, Difters changing sides wasn't really necessary in the first place. Agreed. So just more of that uh, probably wouldn't have sat well with me, but in the context of what you're talking about, yes, that would have been nice. Yeah, I guess I would have rather changed out one of the existing panels as opposed to adding in a new one, and then we both win. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) Think about that next time, Oda. Hope you learned your lesson. Yeah, start taking notes from us, jeez. (laughs) We know best. Um, but yes, 16,000 Kaido versus 9,000 R-Boys, that's pretty good. Um, but we find out here that, uh, part of the reason that CP0 was here in the first place is to, uh, kill a specific lad. Uh, they say here that he ran away with classified intelligence. They're not super worried about it, because apparently it's old news, and it being out there won't really harm the government, according to Hat and Beard Guy. Uh, but uh I don't even know how to describe this man man who is holding a mask on a stick over his face uh, (laughs) seems to think that they gotta kill him anyway because you know bad precedent Um, 
we find out that the man they're talking about is who's who. Because he's fighting Jimbei. Yeah, again, not really, like, a reveal or anything. Like, this is this is more of a continuation of last chapter, but it's kind of laid out as if it's a reveal. Like, they're not really saying his name or anything, and then it cuts to the fight. It, it almost feels like the chapter cut happened at the wrong page. <laughs> but whatever, that's that's me being overly picky, I'm sure. Classic you, doing yeah. as you do. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the cut, we're back in the Chat Cafe on the fourth floor. Uh, Jimbei versus Who's Who. Here we go. This is what I, well, not this specifically. Uh, but this is the type of thing I've been dreaming about since the time skip, and uh, we're actually getting a fight. Brief as it may be, uh, I wasn't asking for much. As long as we get some tussling, <laughs> that's all I wanted. Especially since it's Jinbei. Like, it's brief, but we haven't seen much of Jinbei at all, so this feels like a lot, you know? Indeed. We usually see Jinbei either, like, clashing with people that he just demolishes, which also kind of happens here, especially towards the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you just beat up Morio real bad in Marineford, and recently he's been fighting people that are way stronger than him, like Big Mom back in Whole Cake. Uh, So it's nice to see him get, like, a proper, relatively equal fight, um, which we haven't seen before. Yeah. Pretty dope. Yeah, who's who breaks through his armament hockey, like, almost right away. Well, not right away, because the battle was still happening last chapter, but, like, he he draws blood through armament hockey, which we don't see very often at all in the series in general. So, like, yeah, this is a this is serious business. Capital S, capital B. <laughs> Quite so. Um, he launches that Fang pistol. Jinbei does blot it, but he takes a little bit of damage. I guess the Fang pistol is just really tough. Well, yeah, it's it's coming from a former CP member and. Like, armament hockey has different levels, so. That's true. See, it kind of sucks because we we get this info, right? Like, we, we finally get this uh, sort of power scaling on Jinbei. Just a little bit. But not really, because we have no way to compare. Uh, like, we don't, we don't know how to compare who's who to almost anyone else. So we still can't really compare Jinbei to anyone else. It's it's a weird situation. Uh, agreed. Especially when Jinbei's armament hockey like levels up during this fight, seemingly. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that, I guess. <laughs> indeed. Before that, though, it seems that Who's Who is having a really hard time pinning down just who he has a grudge against. First it was Jinbei, then it was Luffy, now it's Shanks, uh, then Luffy again, in a hot second. He just has a lot of grudge to go around. He's like a cat, very temperamental. <laughs> Indeed. Um, throws off some more Fang pistols, Jinbei wisely dodges them this time, prompting a uh, pretty racist comment from the Catman on the following page. I was so pleased to see Jinbei's response. Just like super cool, super calm. Just like, hey man, you are so behind the times. Indeed. Classic Jinbei being a cool guy. Even mm-hmm. the way he like handles pretty much this entire fight up until the end where he gets a little bit mad. Uh, he's just taking the guy's attacks, tossing them around, reacting as he needs to. Yeah, this has really pushed Jinbei up in my... I don't, I don't know if it makes him more of, like, a favorite of the Straw Hats, because I try not to base that too much on their fighting, more their personality. But, like, mm-hmm. his personality comes through a lot in this fight, and it shows just how crucial his addition to the crew is. Like, yeah, we've got Robin and Zoro and Nami, kind of, as, like, level-headed people, but pretty much everyone else on the crew is gonna go a little buck wild at times, and Jinbei as a counter to that, especially since, like, he's older and he's the helmsman. Like, it's just, it's all fitting together really nicely now. And I've been waiting for this since Jinbei had been, like, even thought about joining the crew, basically. Uh, agreed. He's the new dad. 
But, yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> Frankie's demotion. But, Thank you know. God. Frankie <laughs> needed to be the weird uncle since his inception. Well, he's the perverted grandma now, but, you know, I'm not grandma? quite sure that made... Yeah, that's what Oda said. <laughs> uh, was that in an SBS or something? Yes, that was in the most recent volumes, SBS. Okay. Oda was asked, hey, uh, Oda, mm-hmm. you've been giving us all this information about the Straw Hats over the years. Now that Jimbei's a Straw Hat, can you give us all that same information about him? And where they got to like the oh, role in yeah. the family thing, uh, he's like... Jimbei's the new dad, but uh, Frankie was the dad, so he can be the perverted grandma now. So, yeah, yeah, I, I at least somewhat remember that now. Classic you. Uh, let's see here. Yep, calls him out on his racism. He's like, haha, sorry. <laughs> That's my justification for that terrible thing I just said about Fishman. Uh, here's a big old hockey fang attack, which uh, Jimbei blocks and tosses him. Uh, you're talking about the Fang Flash here? I sure am. I love this interaction where uh, it then zooms in on Jinbei, like, grabbing the tusks. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. that is that shows a level of precision and, again, just, like, his calm demeanor comes through here beautifully and, like, it, it flows with the sort of the way that Fishman Jujutsu works overall from what I can tell. Like it's very much redirecting other people and keeping yourself centered and all that. And then just, I don't know. I love it. It's good stuff. Indeed. Jimbei's attacks aren't very flashy, um, but I like them all the same. Well, they're not, it depends on what you mean by flashy. Cause like literally lifting a giant saber-toothed tiger man and throwing him over your shoulder can be pretty flashy um but it's not like you know not not the same way that frankie or usopp are where they're literally like visually flashy it's it's nice to see strategy involved in the hand-to-hand combat whereas luffy is usually more just like throw a lot of things out there and eventually i'm gonna win that's true. Usually works out for him, though, so I can't really fault him for behaving that way. Right, but, like, if you were to swap him, it would never work. <laughs> like, That's true. Good boys all around, though. Like mm-hmm. them both. Okay. Uh, speaking of hand-to-hand combat, let's cut away from that to throw some water bullets for a hot second. Uh, he... <laughs> I think this move was first used by uh, Arlon back in the day. They just kind of have some water in their hands and they throw it so dang hard with the water shot that it uh, feels like bullets. It's pretty cool. I liked it. I, I don't really know where Jinbei got this liquid from. I assume that they just have some, like, I don't know, like a coating on their body or something that he could shift around to get some of the residual off. Because um, I don't think that there... Well, maybe there was like a, a, a water dish for the cats and the cat trees. Um <laughs> But uh, I, I, I just don't know how fishmen work enough, I guess. Uh, it could be the water from sweat. Could just like be, like you said, maybe he's just a damp guy. Just has like a layer of water on him. Well, I would figure uh, that that would be kind of important for fishmen in general. Um, mm-hmm. But like, probably not considering how long Arlong would spend out of the water. It's not like he was drying up or anything. That's true. He did have a great big pool taking out most of his uh, property, but, you know. That was more like a like a dock as opposed to a pool, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah, true. And it was for the Moomoo. Moomoo? Uh, Moomoo, yes. Yeah. Moomoo the sea cow. Yeah. I miss that guy. Bring him back, Oda. But enough about Arlong. <laughs> no one cares about yeah. Arlong. We're here to talk about Jinbei and who's who. Yeah, Arlon Sutz, Jinbei's great. Throw some bullets. Uh, who's who managed to dodge them with his shave sits power? He decides, you know what? How dare you throw bullets at me? Let's take a second to chat about uh, a story that I heard that I want your input on. Uh, apparently, when who's who was in prison, being torched and such, a guard told him about a... Like a deity of sorts. A figure that slaves would pray to in the long distant past, he says. 
the sun god Nika. Uh, we get a little image of him as I guess who's who imagines him <laughs> at the very least. Yeah, uh, I guess. I don't know if we are to interpret this as literally what he looked like or if just this is what who's who pictures when he thinks the guy. Um, don't know. Could go either way. Uh, but he heard about this guy after being tortured so much, he actually started to cling to this legend. Um, and he wants to know if Jimbei knows anything about it, which he assumes that he does because uh, Jimbei led the Sun Pirates and the entirety of Fishman history is slavery. <laughs> That's what the man says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really not a fan of this who's who dude. Very glad that he gets his socks rocked. Um, what's going to happen with this sun god thing? Like, how is this going to be relevant? I don't understand. The only thing that I can currently think of is that we kind of think the current theory is that Joy Boy is a title more than the actual name of a person. Sure. So perhaps the previous Joy Boy was Nika, as he says here. Uh, they brought. They thought he'd bring smiles to their faces. And uh, I saw a tweet from Archer earlier today, like 10 minutes before we started recording or so, that apparently Nika is like a Japanese automatopoeia for the sound of laughter. Hmm. So uh, Oda could be hinting at some stuff here. Okay, I could I could see that for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, personally, since in the reread section we just started uh, Skypea, like this mm. image of the sun god Nika very much makes me think of uh, the Shandians. Yeah, yeah, Wiper and all them. Like, mm. it, it looks like it, but that is obviously nothing to go on. That's just a recency bias for me. Uh, agreed. I mean, he's got like a spear and like the the grass skirt type deal that the mm -hmm. Shandians wear. Mm -hmm. um, so it could have a connection to Skypea. I would really like if Oda uh, somehow brought the lore of the Shandians into the forefront of the story in some small way so that people would stop complaining that Skypea doesn't have anything to do with the overall arching story. Uh, but I like Skypea anyway, so it doesn't bother yeah, me. It one way really doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this Nika thing develops. Indeed. Uh, after Who's Who makes yet another racist remark, uh, he starts stabbing him a whole bunch with the finger pistol spots. Uh, the same move that uh, Rob Lucci beat Luffy up real bad with back in the day. Jinbei attempts to block it with some full-body armament hockey, something that has not worked out so great for... Uh, other people who use that technique in the past. But uh, he keeps smacking him with it, and eventually his armament hockey appears to level up, I guess, like we said before, and breaks his fingers. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> I was a little confused about this at first. Like, I thought maybe Jinbei had gotten a quick hit in, maybe someone else had done something, but no, it, it really is just... Jinbei getting stronger by fighting a racist dude. <laughs> Pretty much. Got a power up somehow. Uh, I've seen some discourse already on Twitter uh, about whether or not Jinbei is using Conqueror's Hockey in this instance, because you can see the lightning in the panel where uh, who's yeah. who's going DR. Yeah. And also a couple panels later, where's his shark grip? Um, and that could be the case, I guess, but Oda's been pretty inconsistent over the years about what this hockey lightning indicates, mm -hmm. um, so I don't think we should jump to that conclusion just yet. There's no reason to jump to conclusions right now. Like, just enjoy the fact that Jinbei is getting a little bit of the spotlight, and we can learn more later, everyone. It's fine. Indeed. Uh, for the moment, though, Jinbei is looking real cool, breaks this guy's fingers through contact with his body, grabs his hands, breaks those too with a shark grip uh, as he's getting peeved off at the comments this man keeps making. Uh, interesting. I did not take it as Jinbei breaking his hands um, because you can see that he he got the armament hockey off, but like he also screams out, so he's not having a good time. Um, Indeed. 
Yeah. They might not be literally broken, but but at I, least I know what you damaged mean. for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think one of my favorite parts of this fight is when who's who just says like, "Hey, you're on my tail." Like, like that's gonna <laughs> matter to someone you're fighting in a life or death battle. Like. Come on, man. <laughs> like, uh, excuse me, Mr. Jimbei. I don't know if you realize or not, but you're standing on my tail right now. That's not cool. Please yeah. remove your foot. Uh, your that's going to be a penalty for you. <laughs> Indeed. He's going to win this by, like, TKO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Points. He, he yeah, gets just right. more touches. Uh, he takes a... Jimbei, that is. Takes one of those uh, Fane pistols right to the face, though. Can't see how bad the damage is in the shot where we see his full face. Doesn't look like it's like fully drawn blood, though. So I guess he taped that pretty good. Perhaps I don't uh, know how, though, because like it doesn't it doesn't show him using armament hockey where he's actually getting hit. And previously we saw one of those go straight through a stone pillar and the ground multiple times. Uh, maybe, and this is also just me possibly jumping the gun on this, but we've seen in early Wano that Luffy was learning how to use hockey without, like, actually touching stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, uh, Marco and Co. was doing back in the day, and that was, like, the invisible hockey. So maybe that's how he blocks it, with, like, the sure. invisible sort of hockey that we used to see. Sure, I, I can know. accept that. Why not? Could also be that his body just grew much tougher in the last few minutes. Hard to say. <laughs> yeah, who's who does say he just snapped all of a sudden. Which, like, no, not all of a sudden. You antagonized him. You prodded him a lot. Like, you did this, who's who. Don't don't try to act coy here. <laughs> Hard to feel bad for you, my guy. Yeah. Uh, then Jinbei charges up a new secret technique that we haven't seen before. The demon brick fist lands it right in who's who's smug, big, saber-toothed tiger nose. And, uh, don't know if he's gone down just yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Yeah, this, this attack is very reminiscent to, like, Whitebeard's power, and I love that style where it's got the, the radiating rings and the cracks in it. I'm not saying that it has anything to do with Whitebeard, but just, like, the... The drawing, the animation of that, for some reason, very satisfying. Indeed. Jim Bay's been using these types of moves for a long time, and it always looks pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, guess for the moment, at least, this comp... Well, my guess is that uh, this is the end of the Jim Bay versus Who's Who confrontation. And if so, I'm pretty satisfied with how it turned out. Yeah, I am too. It, it was pretty quick, but... I feel like that's a good thing. Like I said, we still can't really gauge Jinbei's strength, but like obviously he's he is a force to be reckoned with. He took out who's who, who's pretty high up there, and like he's gonna he's gonna walk away from this. There's no limping, there's probably almost no recovery time necessary. It's very impressive. Yeah, he took some pretty hefty hits, I guess. I mean the bid one is really just the spots move that he was mm -hmm. trying his best to tank with armament hockey. Um, and then this hit he took to the face. But other than that, he's looking all right. Don't feel too bad for uh, our boy here. Yeah. Now, mind you, while that could lead to him joining another fight, I would rather him not. I, I like that he got his spotlight, but, you know, I think we both are hopeful that the spotlight will shine on many people in the weeks to come. Indeed. And if, like, the main combat-related straw hats each get, like, basically what Jinbei got here, which is, like, basically two not-quite-the-entire-chapters of combat, mm -hmm. that's enough for me. I kind of wish Nami had gotten the same treatment, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, gotta make do with what we got, I guess. Yeah, and Nami has been like, more central to the storytelling than Jinbei has been for quite a while. Um, so I could see why it would seem like she doesn't need the spotlight as much, but it is different um, combat and, you know, whatever uh, plot development. Like, it just, it hits different, and you need both. To, well, 
I guess not everyone does, but personally, I feel like you need both to get like real satisfaction out of a character. Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, there is a break next week, though. Um, next chapter will hit on July 18th, the week after next. I'll miss it, but these things have to happen. Um, unless you have anything else to add, we're going to jump into the news. Here we go. Quick sidebar before we jump into the main V for card information is that uh, Jordan, our dream for the anime finally came true last night. Uh, they added new eye catches. Oh my god. The, uh, yeah, that's right. We don't know for sure if like every single straw hat is going to get one, uh, but this one featured Sanji. It was like a Sanji and Zoro combo type deal, um, but that's what we get. That's good enough for me. <laughs> Um, yeah, it seems like over the next coming weeks or whatever, especially since we've got a break um, coming up, I should probably go back and watch some of the more recent episodes of the anime uh, just for reinforcement and, well, now to see the eye catches. I'm very excited. You and me both. They've been really ramping up the last couple episodes. We're about to actually get into Onigashima, so that feels good. Um but with the anime sidebar out of the way, let's jump into this tasty Viva card info. Uh, they just came out in Japan two days ago on July 2nd. Uh, ordinarily, we did our information from Archer's translations, uh, but since he had a health incident this past month, he postponed his translations. Um, so this time, our info comes from somebody I'm choosing not to name on Twitter. Uh, who seems to have translated based on early leaks, so I won't be naming them or linking this time. Uh, additionally, take this information with a slight grain of salt, since it comes from a source that we're not usually familiar with. Also, as always, we won't be going over every single thing, just the key takeaways and things of interest or note. Here we go. Let's do it. So the first thing is that... Uh, <laughs> All of the scabbards plus Ezo are confirmed in tests to be users of both observation and armament hockey. I had assumed this to be the case, and we've even seen their armament hockey on panel, but I guess it's nice to have it confirmed in an official capacity. That's pretty nice. Uh, Conjuro's fruit is named. It's called the Fude Fude no Mi, or the Brush Brush Fruit. And we also get the name of his weird sword brush thing, uh... Apparently is called the Suji Shibai, which translates to street play. Very fitting for Kanjiro. Uh, Raizo is also confirmed to be a Devil Fruit user. We saw when he was confronted, uh, when the scabbards rather were confronting Kaido, uh, that he had some sort of scroll-related ability where he like absorbed Kaido's fire into a scroll and shot it back at him. Apparently that's a Devil Fruit power and not just ninja skill. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's called the Mati Mati no Mi, or you guessed it, the Scroll Scroll Fruit. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it is nice when they uh, tee it up for you like that. <laughs> Quite so. That was an easy one there, Oda. Um, it's stated in the Viva cards that Toki died at 36 years old, uh, seemingly confirming her death for anybody who still doubted that. Oh my. Uh, they showed it pretty clearly in the anime that she actually died. Um, but people are still theorizing that maybe Toki was the one to uh, help out the scabbards all those chapters ago. Um, yeah, we still this, don't know. Yeah, but basically this doesn't seem to be the case. Pretty sure that it's Hiori who uh, did that, but haven't seen her since, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, and, and at this point, I guess aside from a flashback, I don't know how we would get that info. Uh, yeah. She'll probably show up at some point if it is her and be like, hey, I did this. And they flash back to it for like three panels and then move on. I, I um, guess that's just a weird way to do it. Like, why have the mystery in the first place? Right. And we've been away from that for so long now. It kind of, I kind of don't care about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, though, back to uh, the news. Uh, we get some bounties here of a variety of people, starting with Izo. Izo's uh, bounty is a pretty respectable 510 million berries. 
pretty big. Almost as wow. high as Ace's was prior to his death. Wow. Way to go, Izo. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, Roger's life is detailed a little bit here, um, but pretty much none of it is new information. Uh, one thing of note, though, is that on Roger's card, uh, it mentions the egg on his ship. Oh, it really? says something to the effect of the egg on Roger's ship hadn't hatched yet when they landed. And then, which uh, says to me that something with that egg is going to be brought up and be plot relevant at some point. <laughs> yeah, sometime in the next uh, year, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I really, to this day, have no idea what that might be or how it could relate to anything that's going on now or anything that's been set up. Uh, but it's if just making it all mysterious, I guess it must. Yeah, it's it's just the explanation for how all of One Piece is a prequel to Link's Awakening. Uh, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the that's canon confirmed yep. right now by us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we also get some information on the commanders of the Resolutionary Army. Each of them are confirmed to be both observation and armament hockey users, which I, again, would have assumed to be the case. But I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Bello Betty, the chick who had like the flag ability, which she can like, inspire people to be stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, her bounty is 457 million berries. Pretty good. Uh, for context here, uh, Sabo is the number two of the Revolutionary Army, and he had a bounty of 600 million. So these people having not quite as high bounties as his pretty much made sense. Yeah. Uh, Morley, the giant guy who uh, like did really good or swim in the ground. I don't remember exactly what his ability was. I think he but, swam uh, through the earth. Yeah, but that's literally what uh, Senor Paint's ability was. So I don't think it's quite that. Oh, that's true. Something like that. Yeah. Um, his bounty, though, confirmed to be 293 million berries. Pretty big. Just below what Luffy's was before, after he uh, burned Annie's lobby to the ground. So, uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Karasu, the crow man, his bounty is 400 million. Uh, but, much to my disappointment, uh, his devil fruit is not addressed at all. Uh, don't get a name, don't get any details on that whatsoever. Dang, that guy is definitely the most interesting of these, in my opinion. Uh, I agree, and I'd like to know what the details are so I can finally call Oda out on stealing my idea from like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's gonna it's gonna pay off big time. Yeah, I'll get him. Uh, Lindbergh, the like, he's revealed in this to be a cat mink, but like the... Uh, steampunk mink guy uh his bounty is 314 million he's like the the inventor of the group so yeah i had actually forgotten about that one uh you and me both up until i looked up a picture of what he looked like after reading this information like Mm -hmm. Lindbergh, that guy doesn't sound familiar (laughs) uh but he's real he's important and he has the third highest bounty of this bunch good to know yeah uh Here's a a bit of big news here, Jordan. We get the name of Roger's sword. Um, Do you want to take a guess uh, about what it is? Um, hmm. The Laughing Edge. (laughs) Uh, so close. Uh, his sword's name is Ace. Okay, so he named his child after his sword. (laughs) He sure did. What the fuck? (laughs) What? Classic Roger. What a silly guy. Oh Uh, my god, that's bonkers. (laughs) Quite so. Uh, And it's also confirmed to be one of the 12 Supreme Grade Swords, which I think is the third one that we for sure know about. Mihawks is one. Uh, Whitebeard's, like, halberd thing is one. And I think, like, the like the original, uh, like, Ichidai Kitetsu uh, is also stated to be one, but we haven't actually seen that one yet. So fourth, maybe, depending on what you count. Uh, yeah, pretty buff sword. Yeah, if, if anyone's <laughs> going to have one, it makes sense for Roger. Um, did we get any details on it aside from the name? Nope, just it is called Ace, and it is one of the 12 Supreme Grades. 
Okay, gotcha. Perhaps one day we'll get some tasty new information about that. Good. Um, but for a moment, uh, no. And then the last thing we learn about here is a little bit of details about Marco. Uh, he is confirmed to be both a user of Observation and Armament Hati. Uh, and we get his bounty. His bounty is 1,374,000,000 berries. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, quite big. The highest of any Yonko commander whose bounty we know. Yeah. Um, so to kind of put that in context, uh, Queen's bounty is 1,320,000,000. So not that much lower than Marco's, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't know what Cain's is yet. But if we assume that Cain is going to have a higher bounty than Queen, because Queen's isn't that much lower than Marco's, I think we can guess that Kane might have a higher bounty than Marco, too. Yeah, I, I would agree that it would make sense for those two to sort of sandwich old Marco. Indeed. Um, kind of sucks. Well, it doesn't really matter, but it's interesting to consider that uh, the bounties of Big Mom's main three guys are pretty significantly below uh, Kaido's. Um, that doesn't reflect their power necessarily. Uh but I wonder what Queen and Co. have done that made them so much more notorious than uh, even Katakuri, their number one guy. Well, Queen and the like uh, seem way more, like, war crime-y. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, oh, yes. they they sort of keep to themselves uh, by being on a continent, an island, whatever, that's separate from the world government. But, like, they are, I guess they leave, lean more towards, like, chaotic evil, whereas Big Mom's crew is even slightly more, like, neutral evil. Um, so, I don't know. I guess there's that. But uh, it, it is weird that there's such a big disparity. Indeed. And then... Whitebeard was supposed to be like the strongest man in the world, right? The most powerful Yonko in the day. Um, and his number one guy, we're guessing, doesn't have quite as high a bounty as uh, Kaido's number one guy. So it's a little odd. Again, these aren't power levels strictly, but, you know, they do take those things into account. So you would think that Marco, especially since he's been kind of clowning on both king and queen up until recently... Uh, would be quite a bit buffer than these boys. Yeah, do we know when Marco's bounty was last updated? Like, does it does it tell us that? Because I could see it. Well, I guess they would want to give the most up to date information on this Viber card stuff. It doesn't specify, but if I were to take a guess, I would say probably after the Marineford War, because Marco's mm-hmm. been uh been laying low ever since then anyway and right. luffy's bounty got a buff at that time too so my guess is at that time two that makes ago. sense yeah. so if marco's been taking it easy since then and kaido's been continuing the do stuff maybe since then keynes has gotten higher maybe it also could be that marco was training or something in secret like you know he saw whitebeard go down and he was like well shit (laughs) i guess i gotta step it up now that's true um and again we're just making that assumption that kings is higher but i think i'm right about that logically Uh, it makes sense quite so uh that's the last bit of super cool viva card information um i'll be exciting to see where that egg thing goes for sure yeah, no no doubt. It'll keep me up tonight. And that takes us into the reread, chapters 229 through 237. Yeah, we go from Cricket's explanation of traversing the knock-up stream to doing the dang thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can clear this up for me. During Cricket's lesson on the powerful geyser, the knock-up stream, that'll help the crew, he says that the coordinates change each time, 
but it happens five times a month, mm -hmm. which seems odd for such a phenomenon because he also explains that there, or the, the going theory for him at least, is that there's a big underwater cavern and that like mixing of hot and cold currents causes the knockup. But if that's the case, why would it move ever? My best and only guess is that there's just multiples, like a whole bunch of these like little underground deposits that uh, Cricket describes, and that I guess it's just a coincidence that five of them erupt each month. Um, but because there are so many of them, it's difficult to predict precisely where they're going to do it. It's so weird to me. I feel like that should be flipped. I feel like it should be known where it's going to happen, and when it happens is sort of a crapshoot. Like, uh, Sure, but if that were the case, they wouldn't be able to make the accurate prediction that it's going to happen at noon tomorrow, Jordan. That doesn't help <laughs> the plot. <laughs> if they don't know, or they can't yeah. even guess when it's going to happen. That's true, but like they needed to be not on the island anyway, so they could have just been out there on the sea and then just found it or they could have used their underwater sonar that the monkey force has to like you know find things like they kind of did to find factors that led to it true and then be ready so i don't know that is a small detail but i did go huh when i read it uh agreed it's all a little bit strange i mean I do really like this interaction between Cricket and Usopp here, where Usopp understandably doesn't believe Cricket's claim that the knocked upstream and the Sky Island alignment will just fortunately take place tomorrow. Um, and then Cricket calmly explains that, oh, we've been looking into this phenomenon, and it's based on historical evidence, it's probably going to be tomorrow, and Usopp gets all embarrassed and shit. Um, but ultimately, yes, it is still a coincidence that it's happening tomorrow pretty nearby. Um, it's an explained coincidence. Uh, you and I can nitpick to a certain extent how well it is explained. Um, but I still think it's pretty cool that Oda didn't really need to justify it. He could have just left it as a coincidence. Um, but he made an effort to explain why it is believable. And, you know good enough for me for the time being i guess sure yeah yeah I, I didn't even really have a problem with it being a coincidence like luffy almost has the secondary power of just luck in general so i'm willing <laughs> to write off a lot of those things mm -hmm. um if that's the scene that i'm thinking of though i actually i kind of liked the parts that you you brought up but uh if i remember correctly that's the time where Usopp is like walking towards Cricket with his fists balled up, and that is one of the most out of character things that I have ever seen in One Piece. Uh, that's true. Uh, I don't remember specifically if Usopp saw the brief conflict he had with Sanji, um, but Usopp does also know that he's a sick guy, so maybe he thinks he can take him anyway. <laughs> It's just weird, like, regardless, it's it, it really threw me off when I was reading it. it for, for Usopp to not even pull out his slingshot or something, like, to literally start walking towards a dude with his fists ready to punch, I was like, who, who is this? Did Luffy and Usopp switch minds or something? Yeah, in the background, uh, Chopper was working on a, a mind swap device while uh, Cricket was giving his explanation. Yeah, I loved the explanation. That was great. Just like to put Usopp in his place. Very good. Very funny. Mm -hmm. But otherwise I was like, well, huh? Huh? <laughs> anyway, moving on. What? Cricket tells them that they're going to need to get a south bird in order to actually make it to the knockup stream. Again, another little, like a, well, this actually is not that small of a detail. The south birds come back later and matter. But like, just a way to tie in the wildlife in a new and interesting way. Very good. Uh, and it also leads to some really great crew interactions. We see that Usopp is not afraid of insects uh, now and never has been, making <laughs> his training with Heracles a better fit for him than I ever thought. Yeah, that's a good point. 
We see Zoro uh, claiming that the jungle wildlife has been challenging him, which <laughs> is funny. Very, very funny. It's great. But also, like, I feel like this is a direct response to him having to hold it all in while in the town. Now he's like, okay, now I'm out here. No one's telling me not to fight. I got to prove myself. I got to kill everything that comes near me. Don't look at me funny. I'll fight you. Classic Zoro taking out his aggression on poor, not so innocent, uh, giant insects. Yeah. And Robin's just there like, okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, right. I wasn't there for whatever you're working through right now, but, uh, do what you gotta do, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really good thing that Robin is there because they wouldn't have caught the bird without her. She makes it look really easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Just her showing up and stunting on people without even really trying is <laughs> just great. It's such a good introduction to the crew. Um, so now that they have the South Bird, they return to find that their buddies have uh, really taken a beating. Yeah, that guy, that Bellamy fella, just making everybody in town not like him. Me mm -hmm. especially. Mm -hmm. I know you said last chapter he was your favorite guy, um, <laughs> but I think you might have to reconsider that stance now. Yeah, now my new favorite guy is the drunk dude who found the bounties, because that <laughs> new bounty reveal is so satisfying. Mm-hmm. For him to learn that Zoro's bounty is above Bellamy's and Luffy's is almost double it, and then he just says, They'll kill you. Like <laughs> so good. I don't I don't know why. Like it's not it's not a good line, it's not poetic, it's just like how matter of fact it is, is excellent. Indeed. Like it a lot. That guy was like, yo, Bellamy, uh, you really roughed up these guys before. Uh, but it sure does seem like they were just taking it because they're badasses. So uh, yeah. you better get the heck out of here ASAP, son. Uh, Bellamy does not do that, though. So No, and it leads to, um, well, not so much a fight, but uh, a conflict that, again, <laughs> extremely satisfying. When Luffy lands that single punch and you see the imprint mark of his mm -hmm. fingers and knuckles on the side of his face, it just... Hmm. It's it's so nice to see to see people get put in their place every now and then, you know? Like, this dude's been just a needless jerk. You know, so, sometimes with the antagonists, I very easily see their motivations, and it I, I like them more because of that. Like, Crocodile's a great example of that. But also, sometimes just a huge jerk is equally good. <laughs> uh, indeed. And it's... Very nice, after those 15 chapters of him being a jerk, just how easily Luffy takes him out. Very cathartic. Yeah. Like that a lot. Yeah. Now, last week we kind of talked about the stark difference between Blackbeard and Luffy. Um, mm -hmm. And I also think that this has a, a taste of that as well. Um, I don't think it goes as deeply. Obviously, there's the whole dreams thing here. But... Um, at least with their powers, like Bellamy's power is all about compression, whereas Luffy's power is mostly about, uh, you know, expansion. Um, and that, that is, I don't know, it's a, it's a, I don't know what they call that, a motif, a theme, something. It's, it's, I don't know. I keep saying things are satisfying, so I don't want to say that again, but like, it is. Sorry, people. <laughs> Indeed. There's a bit of a parallel happening here, and I like it a lot. Yeah, parallel. That's good. And it just confirms flat out in both manga and reality that rubber is better than springs. So get fucked, slinkies. That's all I have to say about it. Of course. <laughs> now, this scene added on to the Zoro fight of last arc kind of makes me see why a lot of people say, like, Oh, observation hockey's been around forever. Like it's it it was always in Oda's brain, but as usual, I think this is a, another case where he probably had the idea more fleshed out by now, but like definitely not a solid thing at this point. So you are theorizing that perhaps uh the way Luffy was able to catch him with his punch like he did 
might have been uh, observation hockey thing? Not exactly, op- not exactly observation hockey, because like I just said, I don't think that Oda really had that as a thing yet still. Well, sure, but retroactively. Um, yeah, I would, I would think so. I would think that, you know, at the time it was just Luffy's honed battle instincts or whatever, but like retroactively probably has something to do with observation hockey. Uh, maybe. And we know that in... Once we get to Skypea itself, observation hockey's going to be touched on a bit more with the monster situation. So mm-hmm. it, it could be that he was, he had it in his brain at least at this point in the story, maybe. Fleshing well, I it think out he, still. I think he definitely did. With how much we talk about him leaving himself things just vague enough, like mm-hmm. he, he had to know that there was going to be power scaling, even if he didn't know that One Piece was going to run for 20, 30 years, like... He knew that they were going to have to get stronger and that the enemies would have to be stronger and there would have to be something. So it's it's one of those situations where, like, I want to believe, but I don't. But also, like, it's almost more fun to believe. So why not? It's, it's very strange. Sure. After that cool fight, uh, we meet a lot of people. We meet the five elders of Mary Joa, Doflamingo, Kuma, Whitebeard. Like, this is all within a chapter or two of each other. Um, Which is cool. Like, we don't get much. We know that these people are imposing and powerful, and that's that's very important. Um, Seeing some of the interactions between the warlords is interesting. Like, um, Hawkeye showing up and not really caring... Doflamingo kind of trying to boss people around makes him seem more powerful. Kuma does almost nothing, which is actually pretty fitting for his character. Like, Indeed. we get all these little tidbits, which is which is really cool and nice. But um, the one that actually hit home most for me is when Whitebeard gets the letter from Shanks's like subordinate, and he refers to Shanks as a little brat. Which, at first, I was like, well, that seems weird, because they're pretty close in power. But then I realized that it's not about power, it's about their relationship with each other. Like, mm-hmm. it is it is Whitebeard being the old school, well, actually, probably old, old school. Shanks being old school, and then Luffy being new school type thing. Like, it is almost a different generational thing. Um, yeah, and in the case of Whitebeard specifically, when he was clashing with Roger back in the day, Shanks was like literally a child. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I I love the idea that a pirate, while they are the probably one of the most powerful pirates, like could do their job for whatever sixty, seventy years. Like being a pirate in One Piece is a lifelong commitment and it doesn't make much sense because they're fighting all the time and they would get beat to shit and they wouldn't be able to move when they were old but like if you do it right if you're strong enough if you're imposing enough commanding enough like you can stay super relevant and and yeah like blackbeard has a hell of an introduction and uh i don't know i like him more on my second read through than i did on my first that's for sure agreed uh, this segment here also hints at some stuff we find out later. Um, Buggy here at the beginning is searching for Captain John's treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know now that Captain John himself was a, a big deal Roth's pirate. So that's all pretty impressive. Yeah. And, uh, they also set up a connection between Buggy and Whitebeard in some capacity through, uh, Buggy meeting Ace here, which is. That was a pretty funny scene by itself, but uh, it also has pretty heavy story implications for uh, Buddy's relationship with Whitebeard, and then later we find out Roger. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah that, that whole scene is is very funny, um, and throughout most of it, I was sitting there thinking, like, huh, if I had to be on a crew in the One Piece universe, I'd probably choose Buggies. They seem like they have a good time. <laughs> uh, agreed. They also get caught for a while, but Bucky himself does. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, 
fun boys. Yeah, a lion. That's pretty dope. <laughs> That's true. Ace was very interested in the lion. <laughs> Indeed. Poor Richie. Um, then another fun interaction that I do actually um, was between uh, Do Flamingo and Suru. Because um, Suru's the one like trying to get Do Flamingo to calm the fuck down. Um, but we already know they have a bit of a history. Because uh, Suru was the one that was tasked with bringing Doflamingo back in um, before he became a warlord. So that's a fun little thing that uh, Oda touches on later. And then um, also with Doflamingo, uh, when Sengoku shows up, Doflamingo mentions that his business is booming, uh, presumably referring to his arms business, and maybe even, I don't know if it's been specified at all in the story, like when the smile operation really got underway. Um, but could be that that's starting to pick up. Uh, and I like that Sengoku is concerned about this, but not concerned enough to like look into what's actually going on in Dress Rosa. So, yeah, he's got a lot going on. Busy um, guy, that's Sengoku, no doubt. Uh, but come on, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on the note of Tsuru, I, I, I took notice of that interaction as well, but mostly because... Uh, I think even last week or the week before, maybe we were talking about like um, Hina and Suru and like these people that it's kind of difficult to really place their power levels. Um, but like Suru, when, when Doflamingo shows up, Suru says like, come on kid, like calm down. Like you're, you're being a child right now. And to say that to, someone as imposing as Doflamingo like does solidify her place almost as much as the fact that she's a vice admiral in my opinion that's true especially if you consider that Doflamingo's kind of sorta on his own turf right now because he was born in the holy land um, oh yeah yeah he was a he was a celestial dragon in his youth he's back there for probably the first time in a long time yeah, that's a that's a connection I had not thought about. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, more people we meet. We officially meet Blackbeard's crew. Uh, where the only prerequisites seem to be one, be large, and two, be weird. <laughs> that's how Blackbeard pits them. That's worked out pretty well for me so far. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't think I realized on my first read through necessarily what was going on here like i didn't have as good of a grasp on the whole warlord system and all that um but the fact that blackbeard saw that there was a hundred million bounty out there and was like that's my ticket that's how i get in (laughs) is very good like he he once again uh, underestimates luffy just like everyone does um but the fact that they don't even have a clash or a conflict is perfect. Like, they absolutely should not have, at this point, um, the the knock-up stream destroying their weird giant log raft um, <laughs> just just is very narratively satisfying. You know, the, the threat is there, but then it is, as as quickly as it came, it is gone. And I love that. Indeed. Uh, and based on what we know of Blackbeard's strength from a little bit after this, where he clashes with Ace, they would have been screwed if uh, oh yeah, <laughs> they had actually had that conflict. We yeah. don't really know, even to this day, how strong uh, Blackbeard's dudes were, um, but I'd assume pretty tough. So a uh, combination of Blackbeard and all of his dudes uh, would not have gone well for the crew of the Going Merry. Not, not at all. But it's okay. They make it to the top. They ride the knock-up stream. Um, Zoro gets to throw out a funny line at some point of like, yeah, a pigeon would have been better. I think this was before they went up, but I just remembered it. And it does it does require talking about. Agreed. Um, but yeah, they make it up there. And then, like, actually there's another weird Usopp moment that I'm not a fan of. Uh, as soon as they make it to the top, the first thing that happens is Usopp, like, 
you know, gets ready for a swim and he jumps into this unknown sky lake. That, again, seems so out of character to me for the scaredy cat of the crew to just be like, oh, everything is weird and I was terrified before coming up here, but eh, I'll jump into something where I can't see and I don't know what'll happen. Uh, indeed. He had burned pretty hardcore for it, too. He learned to never do anything risky ever again. Yeah. Now, I, I am okay with this whole scene because I love the way that Luffy and Robin, like, use their powers together to save him. Um, like, that's just a neat little little thing. It's a, it's a throwaway thing. It didn't have to happen, but, like, combo moves don't just have to be for taking down big dudes. They can be used to save people, too. Indeed. Gotta show off what Robin's power can do when it's uh, only been around for a little while. She's a member mm -hmm. of the crew now. Didn't get to see too much of her in Alabasta, honestly, so I appreciate using these little moments to uh, show her off a little bit. You telling me that catching a bird is not a good enough showcase? Uh, it was just below the bar, right? But with this like weird sprouting eyes on Luffy's arm operation, it puts it just to where it needs to be. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. <laughs> Uh, and we are just where we need to be on my last note. Uh, this, uh, this selection of chapters ends with the characters once again meeting even more new people, which we don't get much to, uh, go off of here because we're, we're, uh, we're stopping with their introduction. But, like, both of these characters are big deals up here, and they're, um... And the Straw Hats find themselves in the middle of a conflict that they know nothing about. And they seem just about as confused as I was during my first read of Skypea. Indeed. And then uh, Luffy, Zoro, and Sanji all get thrashed real hardcore in the first, like, ten minutes they're in this place. So that doesn't bode well for future conflicts. No, no. But they've got uh, some skyfish to fry up if they need food. So they can recover quickly. Indeed. I think if you balance that between the beating they just took, they still end up on, on top there. So, good for them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's all that I got. Uh, anything you'd like to touch on? Uh, nope. I tried to cover mine as they were topical. So I'm pretty much tapped out. Awesome. Um, like Thomas said, we've got a break this week. So we will be back in roughly two weeks to talk at y'all more. Bye-bye.